Hi everyone, welcome to the I Don't Know Show with Joe. I'm Joe, and I don't know much about artificial intelligence, but my guest Cal does. Cal, thank you for joining the show. Yeah, really excited. Thanks, Joe. What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? So, what is artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence is a, a broad word that's meant a bunch of different things for like 60 years. But in the last eight years, it's meant something very specific. There's been a very specific algorithm that has gained a lot of prominence since like about 2013, 2014. And when that happened, a couple of tasks that until then were like not really tractable suddenly became almost immediately solved. What do you mean by tractable? Things like machine intelligence as it's applied to uh, translation from one language to another or image recognition or speech recognition was for like the entirety of the 90s and the 2000s, the sort of things which you could only do terribly. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I have, I have colleagues who told me that after 9-11, the government contracted them to figure out how to do uh, English to Arabic translation. Mm-hmm. And the technology was just abysmal back then. There was no way really for it to be applicable. Uh, but then in the sort of early 2010s, in like 2013, 2014, a couple of innovations happened like overnight and they became very easy to do. To what the were those innovations? So the key thing that happened, and this is probably... I I think perhaps the most important event in the history of modern AI was somebody realized that the most important algorithm that we use can be run not on the conventional uh, CPU of your machine, but can actually be run on graphics cards, what we call GPUs. Okay. It's a special kind of processor that's intended to run things like video games Mm -hmm. and to run things like the background of your desktop. But because of technical reasons, it's actually also able to perform the foundational computation of AI. Mm-hmm. When this person figured out, the guy's name was Alex, and he released a paper about a neural network called AlexNet, mm-hmm. and it like tripled the performance on the baseline image recognition task. Wow. And when that happened, everyone was like, oh my god. And everyone just immediately abandoned every other kind of artificial intelligence and all focused on this idea of the neural network, this core algorithm. And so, so that sounds like an algorithmic solution, but it sounded before like you were saying it was more of a processing solution. So is it that this algorithm can only work on that type of processor? Like a lot of areas in science, there are a lot of methods for artificial intelligence. Yeah. And you can imagine that like in like the olden days, there were a bunch of conventional methods and then one really outlandish method, this idea of the neural network that only had a couple of academics sitting in Mm -hmm. dusty chambers with their idea about how it should work, and nobody wanted to use it because it was not practical. Mm -hmm. No computer could execute it. Got it. That said, it was really powerful, and when we finally figured out that we actually can execute this algorithm, we can run it on a GPU, Mm -hmm. the whole world of AI changed. Gotcha. And can you explain what that is, like conceptually, the, the, the neural net? And, like, what's it doing? Yeah, right on. Uh, I like to think of, like, you can imagine that there's, like, two ways of doing something like AI. Imagine we were trying to build a chess bot, right? Something that could play chess. Mm-hmm. And I give it a board, like, the state of a board, and I ask, what's the next move? One thing you could do is program in rules, heuristics. Say, right. if you can capture a bishop and doing so without exposing your queen, capture the bishop, right? Right. The other way you could do it is by showing the AI system one million games of chess. Right. And in doing so, devise some statistical solution, which will allow the computer to learn what on average is the best move in any given situation. 
The first one we call heuristic AI. The second one we call machine learning, because in a sense, the model learns from new data. So heuristic AI is like kind of human learning. You teach yeah. the human the rules, and they try to figure out the best way to do it. Well, arguably, humans learn much more like machine learning. No one ever told you how to understand English. You just listened right. until you did. Right. Right? But anyway, this but idea of... I guess that's of, uh, like uh, artificial general intelligence versus a specific task like test chess yeah we'll, we'll get into but, that in a second yes, i just want to answer your yes, question about yes. what a neural network is yes a neural network is a method that is very targeted at the second of these approaches at machine learning it's very general meaning it's not tied to any particular task it can work for pretty much anything that you can perform machine learning on if you have enough examples of the thing that you want to get done you can almost always teach a model to do it right and that's, that's sort of why neural networks are very general and why they were very hard to do before we had strong enough computers. And so then how do they get better than computers? Is it like, I know in the chess one, right, you, you have the machine learning of looking at tons of examples and then figuring out optimal chess according yeah. to the examples, but then you have two AI machines play against each other to figure out new ways, right? Yeah, totally. Like that that's, to exactly, that's exactly how it works. Uh, the funny thing about chess is that uh, chess AIs were better than humans long before, like, these big neural networks that are run on GPUs were even a thing. I mean, the last, uh, the, the, let's say, like, the first time an AI system beat the, like, beat the best chess player in the world was in 1998. Really? IBM had a computer called Deep Blue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it beat, it beat Gary Kasparov, who was, like, the guy. Yeah. Uh, and a human has not beaten the best AI system since, yeah. to my knowledge. And this was like, and it, the art, like, like the advent of neural networks and the deep learning revolution came long after we mastered chess. That's a funny thing, but like more complicated games, like Go, for example. Right. Right. You needed it. You needed deep neural networks for, or like StarCraft. You know, video games. So, so there's an AI StarCraft that. I don't even know how the game works, but it's it's winning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they have trained AI systems to perform a really great, like Dota. It's kind of like League of Legends. You ever heard of that uh -huh. game? Yeah, yeah. Five people they have to cooperate on an open board and like mm -hmm. use their powers to attack each other. Yeah, these Dota bots they can beat any human team, like the best the best human teams. This was not possible until deep neural networks, like the sort of thing that we need GPUs for. Gotcha. We're on the so, scene. Between chess, right, where where we were able to, or not we, they were able to master yeah. that <laughs> back in 1991, to uh, recently we were talking about the, like the translation, uh, you know, language models. Yeah. Um, why was there so much time in between, and what was it that brought along the current wave yeah. that we're in? Uh, well, so the the technologies that allow speech recognition, machine translation. Uh, and like to play Go, all of this existed in the 90s. In fact, they existed in the 70s. It was the, it was AlexNet, right? It was this idea that you can run it on GPU that really opened the floodgate. And once that had happened, the AI community very quickly established uh, techniques within this, the algorithm of deep neural networks that he could even better and able to do even more powerful things. Mm -hmm. Uh, like, for example, in 2013 or 14, uh, when sort of GPUs became really hot on the scene, Google Translate still sucked. It wasn't until 2017 and 2018 when sort of the second big revolution in mm. AI, this idea of attention, which we could talk about a little bit, okay. came on the scene that it became almost perfect. Uh, so you, the way you could think about it, I think, is that 
early AI, the stuff that happened, you know, before you and I were born, algorithmic ideas, theoretical mm -hmm. ideas, math. Then the AI boom starting in the early 2010s, hardware, the mm -hmm. ability to use GPUs. But then in the last couple of years, the advances leading up to things like ChatGPT, again, algorithms, math, and theory. Mm -hmm. We've sort of had both in a sandwich in the history of AI. Interesting. Very cool. Um, okay, and I want to dig into all of that. But yeah, then first of all, what, what is artificial general intelligence and how does it relate to the concepts we've talked about so far? They call it, yeah, yeah, artificial general intelligence is the notion that we could extend current methods to do things that more resemble human cognition, right? Uh, a human being is unlike any artificial intelligence system we've ever trained in that it's not specific to some particular task. It's, it's general. Mm -hmm. It can do a wide variety of things. Yeah. And we have yet, like in the last sort of 10 years of the AI boom, been able to create anything that remotely resembled artificial general intelligence. People are citing the recent explosion of large language models like ChatGPT as the first thing that seems like maybe it's there. Right, at least in the area of like language. Well, in, in, in a sense, pretty much any task can be reduced to language. No, but like it's not attached to a body. Yeah, it can't but move it could be, it right? Right, T yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that said, I, uh, it's funny. I, I think that like the vast majority of, of researchers in AI these days are not really spending a lot of their time thinking about general intelligence. They're thinking about moving the ball forward a little bit on these more constrained types of intelligence, like these mm -hmm. immediate tools that we can use. I think a lot of people, and I don't really know where I stand about this, but I think a lot of people would say that the whole dream of artificial general intelligence is an unfortunate artifact of this metaphor of artificial intelligence. Like the fact that we call this field artificial intelligence instead of <laughs> statistics or like or speech recognition or whatever makes us think that suddenly we're going to build something with a brain. Yeah. Well, well, why why should there be a distinction there? It does seem like it's just a, like a more extreme case of like artificial intelligence, right? Artificial intelligence is is. Uh, you know, machine learning for a specific task yeah. um, versus just like machine learning how to be a human, yeah. you know? So like, like why would it, why should there be a distinction in the language? I feel like that's like, that's like what you're getting at is one of the core questions in the like kind of contemporary conversation about AI. And I think that the funny thing about that question is like, okay, suppose like Joe, you're, you said, I know nothing about cancer. I want to bring in someone and ask them if we're going to cure cancer in my lifetime. So you bring in a cancer expert and they say, and, and they could give you an informed opinion. This question, on the other hand, you're asking about cognition. We all experience cognition. Yeah. An expert on AI doesn't have that much more to go on than you do. Like we can all ask ourselves, is our ability to perform the task of understanding speech just a smaller version of our general intelligence or is it this entirely new thing and I, I think the fact that we all have different subjective experiences of our own cognitions is why this is such a hot topic yeah everyone sort of some people think it's totally different some people think it's kind of the same yeah you know but there's no i don't really think that there's any technical evidence for one way or the other none of us have any idea really right yeah, that's my opinion <laughs> <laughs> but but i think it is a cool metaphor and it's not i think it's more than a, a metaphor i think like as as those topics are explored we'll start to understand more about our own cognition uh how we think about things consciousness yeah. like what are these things yeah man I, it's like <laughs> on some level I'll, I'll tell you what we've proven 
is that at least that little sliver of your brain that does things like language processing, well, it's it can't be that much more sophisticated than a neural network because the neural network can do it pretty well. Yeah. Right? And so I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that this science may shed light on cognition in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do, do you think that we'll, we'll be able to fully replicate a human with artificial general intelligence or... I Whatever mean, you, want to call you know, it. this is something I have a weak opinion about, not a strong opinion, but my weak opinion is that we won't because, like, my own experience of, of, of like, the inside of my mind is, <laughs> like, well, there's a lot more going on in there than, like, I don't, I don't, I don't do what we call supervised learning. I don't do, I, I don't look at the same task 30,000 times and then I know how to do it, right. you know? Like, if you asked me, Cal, go pick up this guitar on the other end of the room and bring it to me. I'd be able to do that, but not because I've picked up guitars 100,000 times <laughs> in my life and brought them to people. It's because I can see things, and I understand English, and I can connect those things together in my head. You right. know, And I have dispositions towards all the different objects in the world that help me make sense of them and connect them to each other. I just Right. <laughs> it's interesting. You You're know? saying the, the way that you... Uh, think about things and, and perform tasks is in, inherently different than the the model we're using to teach these AI systems, right? I think it is inherently different. But that doesn't mean that at some point in the future, it won't be more similar. It doesn't it, mean that. It, it <laughs> certainly doesn't mean that. But the science is going to have to improve between now and then. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think there's maybe one or two Nobel Prizes between, like, <laughs> the current state of the art and... But listen, I was... I was I believed that a year ago, and then I woke up one morning, and the internet was intelligent, and it was talking to people, and so I've been proven vastly wrong before. Yeah, and man, I don't you know I, I don't know. But it's know not actually intelligent, right? I yeah. mean, it's intelligent in terms of how how we would define artificial intelligence. Yeah, but it's not actually thinking. You but know? it was like it was representing sophistication that I didn't yeah. think I would see in my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, you know, super cool. <laughs> and then it was just one morning in like October. I was like, "Hey, check out this thing on the internet." It was like on Reddit. It was like, "What?" <laughs> it blew my mind. Wow. Yeah. So what? What do you think is going to be the last thing? Like, what's going to be the hardest thing to replicate from the AI perspective? The hardest thing about our cognition. Yeah. I think what a lot of people in the research community see as a uh, like a core feature of human intelligence that's not really part of neural networks is the ability to sort of seamlessly combine modalities, right? Like, I can connect text to what I see, to what I smell, to what I hear in this sort of implicit way, mm -hmm. right? And the my ability to do that depends on just disparate experiences of different smells and different sights and different words that are not connected to each other, but I can connect them. Right, right. You know? Whereas a large language model, it's... You really can argue that it's really just seeing everything. Right. You know? Uh, and so there's probably a jump there. There's probably something different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, Very you know, cool. listen, everyone's got their own opinion on this, and I'm yeah. really no expert. What was the uh, concept you mentioned before, tension? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think if you're sort of plotting the history of AI since the kind of GPU explosion, uh, probably the biggest thing to happen since then was like a small architectural tweak, like mm -hmm. in how the algorithm works, which was, you know, as, as, as just sort of a metaphor for what it is. It's like, 
we're not just going to let the model process the input. We're going to let the model decide what part of the input to process. Right? So, like, you can imagine that the model is sort of split in two. Mm-hmm. One part that processes what it's looking at and another part that decides where to look. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this has become extremely relevant in a lot of fields. It's relevant in image recognition because maybe you give something a text prompt and then it knows what part of the image is relevant. And it's become relevant in translation, right? Because it can figure out what part of an English sentence corresponds to what part of a Spanish translation. And it's, it's crucially important in my field, which is speech recognition, where for a given output word, we really care what part of the input audio uh, we're right. attending to. And so, you know, attention is a sloppy metaphor. Who knows if the model's paying attention to anything, but it's deciding what to look at. Right. And that was key. That's what really kind of, I think that's really what made Google Translate what it is, you know, and, and other like the, these key, like these big translation systems to mm-hmm. be like seamless. Uh, it is very much the backbone of chat GPT and similar systems, right? Those things could never be where they were without attention. And gotcha. that was in 2018. So that was really not too long ago. Very cool. Yeah, and those are all applications we all know about. Are there any uh, applications of AI um, that maybe people don't realize is AI and they'd be uh, shocked to find out that there's like AI behind it? Yeah, man. I mean, it's like, uh, I think it's like like at, at a lot of the tech companies, AI has just been a where can you put it? Yeah. kind of thing yep right like 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 i think an iphone now will decide how fast to charge based on some adaptive algorithm oh yeah my my yeah. my google phone does that yeah yeah they totally do that uh and so they're starting to come into the background of a lot of things i think the truth is though that ai is still in its flashy phase and so yeah. like kind of the most impactful uh the most impactful applications of ai are ones that we can see right right i think very cool but that might be the thing that really is how AI is going to change our world. You know, like if it sort of finds its way into the logistics system that decides where to send a delivery truck, right? It might That might really just change the economy and change the world. Yeah. We haven't seen yet. I mean, all this honestly has the ability to change the world in, in many ways. Yeah. I mean, it's where i mean look at the internet right it's everywhere mm-hmm. right before the internet it wasn't and it happened it happened fast <laughs> very fast in the 90s you know and this just, is going to happen even faster <laughs> i think we're going to see i think we're going to see where what it can do you know right now ai like it's for ai stuff it's for image recognition and speech recognition and chatbots and whatever but you know Maybe it'll just become ubiquitous. Yeah. You know, maybe it'll be part of how your air conditioner works. Yeah. You know, and just well, uh, yeah, make everything better. Hey, Google, turn my air conditioner off. Oh, man, that's really embarrassing. <laughs> I know. But see, that's the problem. <laughs> oh, hey, look at that. It works, but it doesn't know right away. Yeah. Uh, well. <laughs> hey, Google, turn the air conditioner back on. <laughs> <laughs> You got it like guys an Australian accent or something. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, right on. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, are you working on that? Yeah, yeah, I'm working on that. I I, I work on I work at at Google and speech recognition, and I uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of different parts of like the speech recognition system. It runs on things like the Google Home, but also on on Android phones, uh, and it runs for like YouTube is a big big use case mm-hmm. for captioning. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Those auto captions are cool. Yeah. When did they start? Because I didn't notice them until recently. I think it was like, that was 
was it like 2017 or 2018 or something uh-huh. that they started to roll out i don't really remember i wasn't there for that yeah uh but like you can just think about it that's like a, a pretty cool thing it's like let's run speech recognition on youtube yeah because a lot of times i'll realize that like it's wrong but i'm like oh it's automatic i thought it was like built into the thing i'm like okay so yeah 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 this is pretty neat it's it's pretty neat uh it's hard you know it's hard yeah. to, it's hard to run Some, something that that i think is sometimes overlooked about ai is that the fact that you need to run them on these gpus means the computation costs money yeah like it's not like like you have a cpu like ever like the average person has like 10 cpus associated with them mm-hmm. the gpus the ones that run machine learning models are expensive they're like a thousand bucks a pop gotcha you know yeah so that's like when you think about like building these services like you like that's like one of the big things that I think yeah. you know people often uh, fail to remember is that like it's not just like the magic computer science it's mm-hmm. also like figuring out just how to roll the thing out affordably yeah well what happens when uh, quantum becomes more ubiquitous does oh, that improve those, this too man that's gonna take this into the next uh, stratosphere <laughs> there's like there's like there like like a like a smelly corner of computer scientists full of like these brilliant people who like are just asking like quantum and AI and they, they have like their own meetings and you know, none of us understand their papers and whatever, but like it's, you know, God knows what's going to, you know, what'll be possible. <laughs> I, I don't know the first thing about quantum computing. Well, I, I imagine that, that that would help in enabling the AI to improve itself. Right. Once you have something that powerful, it'd be like the chess thing, but it'll just be like, uh, would that, would that enable that you think? Yeah. The truth is I, I, I don't know. I don't even know what a quantum computer is, Joe. You'd have to, I'd have, we'd have to do this podcast in reverse. I'd have to be like, I'm Cal, and I don't know anything about quantum computing. So here's, here's my friend Joe. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised because I thought that would be like uh, a part of the conversation. I don't know um, enough to say. I just know that it. I mean, it's supposed to use quantum states to be able to compute things with less space, but yeah. much more powerful. Yeah, yeah. In principle, I think it's like. Yeah, but those of us who are, like, sort of in the world of, like, I'm just sort of, I'm a foot soldier, you know? I, I like, <laughs> I, 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 I build the thing that they tell me to build. Like, it's not, gotcha. like, the whole, it's hard for me to look into the future of, of like, what, where computer science is going to go with all this. Right, like, yeah. Yeah, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> Apparently, they've already built some quantum computers, and they're, like, around. Yeah, yeah. In and research labs. they have like massive cooling towers, but the actual computer itself is very small. But it, it's it, it takes a yeah, lot yeah, of space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, the it's got to be like absolute zero or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. and just to do like one bit of computation is absurd. Yeah, because it has some really temperature sensitive. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, listen to the episode of I don't know what Joe when you find a quantum <laughs> person to come in here. All right, and tell if you, anybody uh, yeah. is a quantum person wants yeah, to come I'm, on, I'm yeah. absolutely gonna listen to that episode. Come talk to me. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, what are you working on? What can you share with us? Yeah. Uh, so, most of my, like, you know, just, just for background, I, uh, I'm a graduate student at NYU. I'm doing my PhD in, in this, in speech recognition. And I also, I work at Google in the speech recognition lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, my work is not, like, you can, you can read it if you want. It's on the internet. It's, it's, <laughs> it's published. Uh, but you mostly what I'm concerned we'll with... We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Anyone wants to read my paper, my, my, my inscrutable writing... Uh, but it's mostly what I care about is, you know, speech recognition. If you want to train a model, you need, like I said, these examples. And what an example means in speech recognition is audio, like right. a recording of someone speaking, and the corresponding transcript, you know, so the text. Mm-hmm. We call that a supervised example. Supervised in the sense that both halves are present. 
Okay, uh, got it. But there's a lot of applications in which you're not going to have that many supervised examples, like you know, for languages which aren't which, which aren't like uh, used a lot for these big tech products. Mm. So often there isn't like a big data set lying around, or for accents, right? Yep. You often don't have a big data set, and so for cases like that, you want to be able to make use of just plain text. And you want to make use of just plain audio. Mm-hmm. In principle, you should be able to do this because, you know, how did how did how did, how did I learn to speak? Right. You know, I didn't I didn't get supervised examples. I just I just heard a lot of audio and I saw a lot of text. Right. You know, and so now I can perform speech recognition. Right. But that's that's my research. And like, if we have very little paired examples, supervised examples, but we have the entire history of the Wall Street Journal of text, then a bunch of movies full of audio, can we still train a good speech recognition yeah. system? Yeah. Well, as far as having uh, the supervised learning, right. Um, I would imagine like audiobooks would be a good place to start because yeah. you have the actual book and you have the. That's the actually audiobook. funny that you. Yeah, that's like one of the big. That's like definitely one of the big sources of supervised data that is open source, right? Mm-hmm. You know, most of these big companies have their own, like, closed source supervised data sets that they've paid for, right? And they've like actually hired people to like talk and to like. And then, like, write down the transcript and so on, and they spend a lot of money, and that's why a lot of these. <laughs> I big feel like that's have... not going to be enough. <laughs> well, if you're if you're Amazon, you can get away with it. You right, know, you could right. spend a couple of bazillion dollars, and you could build a speech <laughs> system better than anyone else. Uh, but if you're not Amazon, or even if you are Amazon, but you're trying to build a speech recognition system for like Bengali, or like you know, in India, there's like 300 languages, and we can't get good supervised data sets on all of them. Yeah. Then you need to use some of these these other methods, what we call unsupervised methods. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I do. What was that thing that happened recently? Some uh, head of state or important person put out a speech that was simultaneously translated into several languages. Did that happen? Yeah. That's awesome. It was super impressive for some reason, but I'm, I'm blanking on... Did it work? This has always been like kind of one of the holy grails in speech yeah, recognition. Yeah, this was like, like... real-time speech, speech translation. translated into languages. This just happened like within the past couple of weeks. Um... Uh, I'm not gonna find it now. <laughs> I'm not gonna find it now. Well, so <laughs> <laughs> this has like been a bit of a. When I joined the field, the thing to do was you could, like, suppose I wanted. Okay, you ever seen Hitchhikers? I have not. I read the book a long time ago. And do you remember in Hitchhikers? There's the uh, the Babelfish. Sounds familiar. Well, You're gonna have to on the refresh or whatever. But it's this fish, uh-huh. and you put it in your ear. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. And anyone can speak any alien language or whatever, and you can hear it. Uh-huh. You know. And building the Babel fish has always been like the holy grail of speech recognition because it's all the hard problems in one. You know, it's got speech recognition in two languages. It's got translation. It's got you have to be able to produce audio given text. You have to run it all on a little tiny thing that fits in your ear. You know, and we still haven't gotten there. But yeah. there have been like a lot of attempts. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and that that's always like yeah, like you said, the holy grail. Just be able to talk in real time in a different language. Yeah, it's just you like just turn on your. You can just filter. like abolish like language barriers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, can you imagine the person who invents that? Yeah. You're gonna put all those translators out of business. Yeah, um. and all the technology <laughs> for it pretty much exists. Just no one's all been able to pack it all into like right. a little thing that works reliably. Yeah. So. Okay, so then how do you go to from the supervised learning to the unsupervised learning? So you're feeding it straight up audio yeah. or straight up text. How does it know if it's getting it right or not? Yeah, so one thing that you uh, 
are sort of hitting the nail on the head is that in conventional training of a neural network, it's all about whether or not the model got it right. Right. You know, you give the model some audio, and if it gets the right text, then you modify the model accordingly. And if it gets the wrong text, you modify the model accordingly. The key to unsupervised training is to create some alternative task, a task that's possible given only that modality. Mm -hmm. So, for example, suppose you have unsupervised audio. Something you can do is have the model, instead of predicting the text associated with that audio, is you could just take out a second in the middle of the audio, just remove it and put in static, and ask the model to reproduce what was in the static. To Without guess. the source. Yeah, well, it gets all the audio except for that second, mm-hmm. and we wanted to infer from context what audio was in that second. Mm-hmm. And now we'll know if it's right or not because we have all the audio. Oh, Like, we know okay. what was in that static out second, that's and so cool. we can tell the model whether or not it was right, and we can modify it accordingly. That's and this is cool. not just in speech recognition. This is in all machine learning. Like, the whole science of unsupervised learning is based around inventing these fake tasks that you can do with just one of the modalities. Uh-huh. Very cool. Yeah. This was like a... This is also really crucial to things like uh, ChatGPT. Yeah. Right? Which is able... Which, which is fundamentally a single modality. It's just text. Yeah. You know? And to things like... It's, it's especially crucial to perhaps you remember like Dali... And stable yeah. diffusion and all of these text-to-image generation systems. Yeah. It was very crucial there to be able to use unpaired text and unpaired images using these sort of made-up tasks in order to get the models good enough. Which is more difficult, by the way, the uh, the image-based, um, like the DALI or the, the text-based, um, like the chat GPT? What's like a more difficult AI task? <laughs> well, uh, the, the, I, I think most people would probably agree that... Uh, image generation from text involves more complicated like techniques and methods. Uh, ChatGPT was is also an extremely difficult thing to build, but for other reasons, it's because right. of the scale. You right. need to train it on everything. everything, you know, and it needs to be gigantic. Yeah, ChatGPT is it's 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 too big to fit on any one computer. It's huge. Right, uh, and that that was the real sort of breakthrough that they made yeah so that example about like taking out the static for the unsupervised learning is that kind of like how like captures work like they're giving it an alternate task of us proving that we're not robots while while (laughs) we're actually contributing to building a a really uh intelligent robot that's like a solid Uh, metaphor yeah you're kind of right yeah i don't know if captcha is really uh ai like captcha is kind of well it's kind of machine learning type of stuff right because I don't think it knows when it asks you what the tractors are. Oh, and yeah. It doesn't, does it? Right? Yeah, I it's think inferred it's that from what yeah. other people have selected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a clever idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's like tied conventionally to, semi-super, uh, to, to unpaired learning, but it's sort of the same idea that we could like implicitly define a task. Right. You know, and then accomplish something weird that way. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Yeah. That's a really cool idea. Um, so... Thousands of people, including Elon Musk and others, <laughs> have signed a letter asking for a pause uh, on uh, AI development. Can you explain their perspective? What are they worried about and what do they hope to accomplish with a pause? Yeah. Six-month pause. I think that this is like one of those questions. And, you know, of course, I'd love to talk about this. Uh, but it's one of those questions that goes back to what I... What I said about, like, if you wanted to know if they were going to cure cancer. <laughs> you know? I don't, I don't know if... 
with my level of background, I know any better than anyone else about whether or not we ought to pause development on AI. Uh, nevertheless, there are a lot of experts, a lot of the leaders in my field, and some of the people who in the 70s devised these very algorithms who are arguing that uh, the implications to society are such that we have to slow this down. And I think that what they would point to is the fact that you wouldn't have to try that hard to use ChatGPT to malicious purposes. Yeah. Right? Like, you could you could use it to try to scam someone out of money. You could yeah. use it to try to fool someone. Yeah. Uh, and I think what those Create people nuclear hope, weapons. Oh, <laughs> no. Et cetera. <laughs> I think what those people hope is that, given some time, we might develop the technologies to constrain... Uh, what these models emit and to have somewhat more control over what they say. Yeah. Uh, I but I can't speak to it directly. I don't really know. Yeah. I, I just can't imagine that helping. I feel like I've heard a lot of the concerns and some of them sound like I could honestly, like it's impossible to predict the future. All of these tools as tools get more powerful, the, <laughs> the, the application towards good things grows and the yeah. application towards bad things grows right so <laughs> well said it can easily yeah. w- like with any tool i mean just look how much harm was done by the internet exactly you know? yeah so i understand the concerns but i don't understand how a pause especially for only six months would do anything especially because like I, people seem to forget like i mean this comes with like climate change also and like literally anything we decide that we want to put our minds to there's still china there's still russia there's still like i i don't i can't imagine putting a pause on it on it would help uh especially let's say it does even if it it does help right we're gonna get to the next stage it's just gonna keep getting more powerful at some point it will be impossible to delay whatever end we're hurtling towards will come without with or without the pause yeah yeah i think that's uh <laughs> I, I, god i hear you i don't know how much power like because like you know any 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 plan everyone's got to be on board with it or else it's gonna move right along right yeah and i don't know how you get everyone on board with sort of leaving something this enticing on the table you know yeah uh i i wonder what will be <laughs> you know these are these are people who these aren't idiots. These people, you know, these are yeah, like like, yeah. like 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 real big people in the field who have who have said this kind of thing. And so, well, at the very least, I think what everyone can agree on is that care needs to be taken. Yes, and especially like it's funny, like a lot of like the big companies in the United States who you know you might naturally assume are like purely profit motivated have actually been extremely careful yeah. about an AI and have like left money on the table in pursuit of AI safety. Yeah. Can you, know? you cite, like, a, an example around that? So I think, like, for example, uh, when... Let's talk about OpenAI, right? Sure. When before... Just so ChatGPT is based on an underlying language model mm-hmm. called uh, GPT, right? That's why it's called ChatGPT. Yeah. And when the most... When, when the previous version of this model, the one before ChatGPT came out, uh, they open-sourced it because, you know, that was the right thing to do. But they didn't release the parameters immediately. Like, they didn't give you what you needed in order to run it. They put a clock on it, and they said, we'll do it in a couple of months, just so everyone can prepare for this reality. So what do you mean? So what, was, what part was open source, and what part was closed? 
So generally, with an AI model, there's two bits. There's the code, right, which implements how stuff works, and then there's the finished model, which is really just represented with binary numbers. So but it's many, everything that it's been trained on, meaning? Yeah, yeah. well, it's a reflection of the training data. It's the model after it's been trained. Gotcha. And it's, it's very hard to get it, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it can be terabytes in size. Uh, and, you know, you know, very hard to replicate. Uh, and so a lot of times when a model is open source, what that means is that that, that that data is open sourced, and that means you can use it. Now, OpenAI, you know, they could have open sourced it right away. And in doing so, I'm sure they could have gotten a lot of attention. But they held on to it, you know, which I thought was a really responsible thing to do. Uh, and a lot of companies have done similar things. Like Meta did this with one of their big models. Uh, I think Google's done this a couple times. Uh, and this is just sort of like, I think this is just in the interest of responsible you know, stewardship of these technologies. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. But I, I like, do they know what safety considerations to actually take? I feel like this is going to run away <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it, it might not end up being the worst thing ever, but like, I, I can't imagine being able to control this once we've crossed some sort of Rubicon. I think maybe what people hope is that, yeah, I, I imagine if you asked Joff Hinton or any of these sort of, you know, like big names who have articulated this position i don't think they'd be able to claim that we can we can turn back the clock on this but they'd probably argue for you that if you you know if you put a couple of months like of, of leeway in there people are gonna adjust their systems and their processes to protect themselves against you know like like new threats that can emerge you know mm -hmm. and, and the technology about these systems will advance so that we understand them better and understand you know how, how to cope with them right but i don't see I don't really see people adapting to technologies that we have currently in real time. Like we're still probably behind where the technology is. I don't think that we've caught up. Like there's a lot of stuff, um, you know, social media and uh, links to depression and, and kids. And there, there's a lot of stuff that, um, you know, everyone just ha being addicted to their phones like all day losing some certain skills that we've automated. So we haven't, um, I don't know if it feels like we're already kind of behind where the technology's <laughs> at. So I don't imagine ever catching up and, and, and the technology is just going to grow at a really fast rate. I think, I think it's entirely reasonable for you to have that perspective. And I think a lot of people agree with you. You know, it's one of those things where we can only guess, you know, and, and I think that's why people that that's like, like any hot button issue. It's the sort yeah. of thing where we're all sort of, we all have our opinions, you know, it's, it's hard yeah. to know. I certainly can't provide you with like insight based on the science. I, that, there's nothing that I know that answers that question. Yeah. I definitely see all of these will converge at some point between like the self-driving cars yeah. and the automated assistance and everything's just going to. Well, I mean, I, what do you think it's converging to? Where do you think we're going to get? Um, like like I said, it could be super duper cool. Yeah. Where it's like we've basically outsourced a lot of menial what will in the future be considered menial labor. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like now like like no one goes farming, you know, everyone, you have a tractor, yeah. large machines, <laughs> you know, like everything gets technologically um you know, removed. So you get to do less menial things and focus on building more. That's the positive side, right? Yeah. Probably uh, do better medical diagnostics, increase longevity. Like, I mean, this literally will solve everything, right? If used for good purposes. Yeah, maybe it could. Um, but? But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, you, you're going to have bad actors, both private and government actors. Um, and it's it, it might end up leading to technocracy. It might end up leading to people with access to this, you know, enslaving the people who don't have access to it. It might lead to just like a completely, uh, you know, unfair society where just like, it, it, I, I mean, the future could be bleak. It could be. Yeah, I guess it's, uh, I wonder if people like you and me were sitting down in the 80s and wondering about Arpanet and, and thinking, like, what's this whole connected world going to be, and is it going to be good Well, it has. It's changed a lot yeah, of things. Yeah. Um, I, I would say mostly for the good, but, you know, it's definitely enabled bad things, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, mostly it seems like it's been a tool for the people so far. I mean, I think governments net are... Net positive, right? Net positive, but, you know, we do have leaks of the government using this technology to spy on people. Probably a lot of people are, you know having their privacy invaded and getting arrested for things and there's like a, so there's the bad side <laughs> yeah, yeah and we're uh, seeing both like both are existing simultaneously it's not like one's blowing the other out of the water i think they're, they're being used for for good and bad um but as it gets more powerful and depending who has access to it and who knows how to use it um let me I got a question for you. Yeah. Because here's, 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 like, I don't know, so. You know, like, you, you've experienced the inside of your own head, right? Like, you, you have tried. a notion of what, of what cognition is. What do you, how far you think this kind of thing could get? You know? Like, I've, do you imagine things resembling consciousness emerging out of these systems? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think we're going to get there. Um, like, I don't know what, uh, which sci-fi books or movies you think <laughs> are are realistic yeah. but honestly most of them are plausible i can't say definitely that like we'll we'll ever get to something like westworld that <laughs> that seems like crazy yeah. but like where we're at right now is crazy this would have been unimaginable to anybody yeah, one year ago. in the past yeah. you know so you know the, to me there's nothing that I know of, and maybe there is something, but there's nothing that I know of that says that everything that we are can't be replicated by a machine, as we've already replicated certain functions, right? Yeah, We're able things to... we didn't think we could. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I, you know, a lot of big parts of that ring true. You know, it's 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 hard it's hard to know. It's an exciting time to be alive. Yeah, and but we don't we don't understand consciousness. We don't understand yeah. like what what you know phenomenology like what is it like to be having this experience right now and attribute that to a machine like how could the machine ever wake up Avenged sevenfold has a song about this on their their new album that came out it's from the point of view of a robot yeah he's, yeah he's asking for self-control he wants to feel wants to love and oh man it sounds like rush yeah yeah um yeah you know like, something you say that you know i, I think is you know very true is like we don't really know what's going on in there in our heads. You know? Like, we don't really have a clear picture of the process behind consciousness. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any scientist that does. And I, you know, I certainly don't. You know, yeah. perhaps a meditation master might, might claim that they did. I, but They might know a subjective... Yeah. Um, you know, and that's... Some, like, I'm, I'm reading through uh, Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind. You know that book about yeah, uh, that's psychedelics? Yeah, sure. So, the science behind psychedelics... Or, I mean, there's there are a lot of studies showing benefits in in terms of depression or anxiety or PTSD or that kind of stuff. There is real science, 
but a lot of like what people report and you know the experience of taking it it's all subjective phenomenology like it's all and people are confidently reporting what they're experiencing in their head and it matches what other people are reporting experiencing yeah. within their head but some point, there's no be, way to actually measure that's that it's got to be good enough at some point right are we yeah. like are we so <laughs> mired in our in our scientific way of seeing the world that we're going to dismiss well there's no way to replicate right? it until yeah. you can put it into actual mathematical terms <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, well, until you can explain the process. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, like, yeah, sort of that disconnect is sort of at the core of why this question is so elusive about uh, yeah. you know, about AI and consciousness is that, like, we're all just kind of telling each other what we think is going on. Yeah. You know, it, it, people take shrooms and they say it's this, and then, yeah. but who knows, and, you know, and... Yeah, I, I really hope that... <laughs> I really hope that, that the science of AI... Of, of neural networks sheds some light on how at least our most primitive processes work things like our like you know there's this layer of human intelligence that's like beyond anything we can heuristically describe it but probably some of the simpler things we do yeah you know like language right no one can break apart language and really understand how human beings can grok it and really just wrap our heads around it and all yeah all around the world to develop fundamentally similar languages yeah. you know like the animals haven't figured it out yeah right? but like like they have something disparate human cultures have in largely similar yeah. ways yeah right so you know maybe ai will shed some light on the processes behind that you know yeah and there's even been some <laughs> papers showing that uh neural networks representations of language fall into hierarchies which broadly resemble grammar you know and that they're able to sort of see represent them somewhat the way we think that humans do yeah and so you know the science is already advancing in that yeah that's why I called the show I don't know because I, I don't know how any of this yeah. works, you know. Yeah, but th this, this but, particular episode will be called Nobody Knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different name of an Avenged Sevenfold song. Um, <laughs> um, no, that's so cool. And wait, so um, yeah, so and then combining those two concepts, what happens when we have Neuralink? Oh crap! Because <laughs> then we have our own consciousness mixed with the machine's consciousness to create i don't know yeah. probably mostly machine consciousness I like, I like wonder if you and i are gonna live to see that like like <laughs> the, the, the 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 real like like human the, the the brain computer connection yeah that this this like will we it'll check what could change the world more yeah you know i think we'll see like the early stages like we'll see people who get it be like who are like missing limbs or need to control like a, a computer because yeah. i think we'll see that but that's very like, limited tasks you know that we can do already in a lot of ways you right. know because those things are tied to the sorts of really confined tasks that yeah. ai can do right you know they've been able to train systems for example to for people who can't speak yeah. who have like had an injury uh, that they can now speak by reading their brain waves, yeah. you know, which is like okay, uh, but that's only because like we can we can turn it into like a supervised right. task, right? Uh, however, you know, I think the real dream of Neuralink is like you know the real like thoughts can be communicated to computers yeah. and, and to each other, you know, by means of computers and uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't man. even know what that would mean. <laughs> so so if you had to pick uh, like a sci-fi book or movie that you think is like somewhat realistic in the near term or in the long term like are there any that oh man 
Well, this has nothing to do with any work I've ever done, but I kind of feel like we could live in Ready Player One before that long. Yes, you know, yeah, for like, sure. Like I, I just like recently have started like like it was my birthday, and my family got me the like one of the new Oculus things. Oh, nice! You know, like one of these like like I think it was like the the Meta something, uh-huh. and I'm just like shooting zombies with this thing man and i'm just like this is there this is this could be ready player one with just a software layer yeah you know or just like add some haptics yeah add some haptics uh, you know get more metaverse stuff up and yeah like, we're basically there it's like people make fun of zuck for like yeah you know but i i, I see the point you know it's really compelling. totally see the point yeah like it just kind of feels like why, why aren't we like like building a, a world in, in in vr yeah yeah that's that's gonna be another frontier yeah, and I think we're gonna see a lot of these things in our lifetime at the same time. Like I think changes is happening more other. and more rapidly. You know? Exactly, like, hey, I exactly. Can write code pretty well. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Like uh, advances help each other. Wow. Yeah. Um. Okay. So how did you get into this? What's your oh, sure. origin story? Yeah. Right on. Well, so I think I'm like a lot of programmers these days in that, you know, I kind of did my training before the AI boom. And then kind of found myself in AI research just because it was the hot thing. Yeah. So I was working at Google. I started working at Google in 2015 as a software developer working on programming languages. And then I wanted something new. And at the time, research was exploding in AI. So I, I got a job at Google doing it. Then I started grad school. And, you know, it's not because I had any particular passion for speech recognition. It was because I was passionate about research and yeah. programming. It was just like the thing to do. You know, I think it's like for the same yeah. reason that so many people became web developers in the 2000s. Right. You know, or like cloud developers like in, in the early 2010s and so on. It was just like, what was up? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's cool, man. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely like one of the top things right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just like the level of hype is like, it's like, it's mind blowing what it is. And it's also like extreme what the hype is. You don't know which is bigger. Like, is it overhyped or underhyped? I couldn't tell you. Yeah. So... Uh, so in your work, you're mostly working on like the code, the algorithms. Yeah. Are you working on the training also, or yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, well, so usually what you do is you write code that implements the training. Right. You know, the training is an algorithm, and so actually, th- this is one of the things that the craft of AI has really improved on in the last couple of years. You know, in in 2015, it was really you had to kind of write the thing from the ground up. Since then, like frameworks have emerged to make it a lot more practical. You don't really need a PhD in computer science to train an AI system before, mm. you know, and in that sense, it's really following in the footsteps of a lot of the big advancements in programming, yeah. you know, like when databases were first invented, you needed an expert to run them. Now, you know, anyone at a boot camp can use one. Right. Right. You know, AI, I think is going to be headed in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was like, I mean, computers in general, right? Like remember when I was a kid, they would say like, Oh, Joe's good at computers. Yeah. <laughs> And now everybody knows how to yeah, use a yeah, computer. Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't need to be an expert. Who's, who's good at computers? Yeah. Who's not good at computers? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like they're training monkeys to be good at computers. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we can evolve monkeys? <laughs> you know, like, are they going to start talking soon? I mean, gotta, I've seen those videos of, like, I don't know, from back thing? in the day. I mean, they used to, like, do these things with gorillas with, like, electrodes, and they'd be, like, oh, controlling things to answer your questions, And but I don't know how uh, good those studies were. I never uh, got a, a feeling that they were uh, highly uh, uh, rigorous. Really uh, yeah, yeah, well, you know what? Like, sometimes when something gets too hyped, the yeah. research just, 
turns to the splashy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> this happens, definitely happens a lot in AI, and I think it, in, like, human-machine interfaces probably happens a ton. Yeah. You know, it's like, you have to, like, especially, like, in AI, you have to read every paper with a grain of salt. You're like, oh, how are you, how are you full of crap here? Yeah. You know? Well, that's a, ChatGBT makes stuff up. <laughs> and I was very surprised to see that because I, as you know, I'm very comfortable saying I don't know. Yeah. But ChatGPT just spits bullshit. Well, ChatGPT <laughs> isn't a dude. ChatGPT <laughs> is a statistical system attempting to replicate what it's been trained on. Yeah. You know, and so it's just emitting plausible text. That's yeah. what it's supposed to do. But it's so interesting that, like, I've I've heard people say that when ChatGPT gets something wrong, they say you got that wrong and it'll say i'm sorry you're right and it, and it'll say like why did you get it wrong and it'll have like a reason yeah but well, think about it like if you were reading uh <laughs> if you were reading some text on the internet like that's probably a reasonable interaction people speak thinking they're right and then they're told they're wrong and then yeah. they respond and like, like you know i think like whenever you see something that chat gpt spits out just put it in the context of everything that's happened before yeah be like is this like a thing i'd expect to see here Right. You know, and that answer will pretty much always be yes, whether or not it's like the, the thing is correct or not. Right. Yeah. It's kind that, of the core weakness of the system. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I feel like we have already been living in an era where it's hard to see what's true or not. And yeah. I feel like we're entering into an era where that's going to almost be impossible. And you'll have articles that are all like ai written to be very plausible but they're completely fake you'll have deep fakes of politicians saying things or doing things that they didn't they didn't say or do like i think that we are we're basically almost there i mean this is gonna start happening any month now well, like one of those things that maybe elon musk and joff hinton and whatever are hoping that a six month like i don't know it's like the jury is still out on whether or not we can modify large language models like ChatGPT to be to cite their sources, you know, yeah. and to generally be more correct, you know? And if that were the case, that that, that might mitigate one of the large dangers of, of the technology. Yeah, but that's going to be specific to chat GBT. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that a bad actor doesn't have his uh, own model. And, it, it, like, you don't really need it for, like, the, the place where where people are going and, and know that, okay, this might or might not be correct. You need it for when someone's trying to trick you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a much more, that's a much more nefarious sort of, of threat, right? Yeah. Someone using this as a tool, as a weapon. Yeah. You know? And I, I think, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. It's like, what, are you going to stop people? Like, you're never going to really be able to prevent bad people from doing bad yeah. things. Do you think uh, every election from here on <laughs> out will be won by whoever has the better Joke AI campaign no manager? <laughs> <laughs> what do you? I mean, I think whoever has the better AI campaign manager will win. Oh, boy. Oh, that's dark. That's dark. <laughs> I mean, whoever has access to the, the, the machine model that knows exactly how to manipulate people in the way that will get you the most votes... Are, we'll win. Are, are we vending machines? Are we so simple to manipulate that 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 is that a, that a bot could do it? I think so. I mean, like like human <laughs> beings, like the human brain is 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 a thousand times more sophisticated than ChatGPT, and it, it it finds it challenging to you know it's a challenging task to to manipulate and understand people. Yeah. Right. Like I don't know. It's not so obvious to me that it, uh, that a language <laughs> model will just be totally proficient at it. It might not be totally proficient, but it'll get that swing vote. <laughs> <laughs> Well, is that a world we don't live in already? <laughs> like with, uh, you get exactly the ads that people want you. I don't know. 
Mancho. <laughs> um, it must be, it must be dark there inside your head. Well, it's it's not totally dark. Like I said, like yeah, I yeah. feel like th- this really could go anywhere. I'm not saying that is the future, but I could see it happening. Like, yeah, it's not it's not that hard to imagine. You know, if I'm already using Google to turn on and off my air conditioner, that uh, in ten years from now, whoever's running for president will will use, you know, Google to yeah. <laughs> to to figure out how to uh, to win an election. Heady stuff. Didn't uh didn't Trump do some didn't um what's his name? Jared Kushner do something everybody talks about. I don't know how the, how big of an impact was this like was or Facebook, not. Facebook campaign. Yeah, and then they like there was like some kind of leak to one yeah. of the and, and like like Facebook leaked a bunch of user data to some third party. Was that it? And then they used that for the election? Um, I don't know about the third party one. I think that either is the same thing or but it might have been something different. Because I remember that story. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah. remember meeting this kid who said he he worked on on Trump's campaign doing this Facebook oh. ad. I think it was mostly an ad campaign. Um, but I think they right. used AI or some I'm statistic sure they used modeling to decide who to send what ads to. Yeah. Uh, although you know, it was and they cl- they claim that that made a big impact. I don't know how big of an impact it made. I guess or it's not. impossible really to know, right? Yeah. You know, like especially because in our country. Swing voters carry a lot of power. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, you know, who knows what influences them? It's not that many people. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think, why, why people get worked up about this. <laughs> On the flip side, what do you think the role of government should be in regulating AI? Oh, man. Well, you know, I think one thing that's uh, perhaps... You know, useful to know about these AI systems, and this might change in the future, but right now, like, if you want to build your own chat GPT, you can't really. It costs a lot of money, and you need a lot of data and a lot of resources, a lot of yeah. computers to get it right, which means that, you know, and you need a lot of scientists who are, like, tweaking with the thing all the time. Yeah, but uh, if it's open source. Yeah, but the open source often isn't the whole picture. Like, it's not the whole picture for, right now, for, like, a layperson but there could be somebody who is an intermediary that makes an open source drag and drop, like something easy. Well, that hasn't happened yet, right? Like what, what exists in the open source is you can use someone else's big language model that right. they've trained and released to you. But if you want to train your own with its own goals, that's still a really difficult technical problem. And it's kind of like, you know, like, like Amazon could do it. Like, like big companies can do it. And so, and, you know, Amazon can be regulated, you yeah. know? And so at least for the time being, it's entirely likely that one could set the rules to this game, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I wonder how that's going to change. I mean, there was just a big acquisition that happened a couple of days ago. Uh, uh, Databricks, which is a big data mm-hmm. company, bought a company that can train ChatGPT-like models for under half a million dollars, which is really a breakthrough, you yeah. know? And so, you know, soon enough we might live in a world where anyone can train ChatGPT. Yeah. Uh, but not yet. And, <laughs> and not for a little while. And But, but the way that evolves is going to have a lot of impact on the way that this whole thing could be regulated. Yeah. I think. But don't you think it will evolve faster than the government would be able to, and then they, they're going to regulate the wrong things because they always do. I mean, do. like, what, what's the thing <laughs> what happened with the internet, right? There was the, you know, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which, like, was a good idea, was a bad idea, I don't know, right? Like, there were, regulation of the internet continues to be a big hot-button issue. Yeah. You know, 30 years after it's come out. Yeah. Then that, that net neutrality thing ended up right? being nothing, right? 
because they remember. well I they re- they overturned it and everything st- still works right is that the story i don't actually know much about neutrality <laughs> i think it was it was a policy for a bit and then they ended it and everyone thought like oh no they're <laughs> ending you know but i don't well, think I anything that. crazy I happened i remember that being all over the news it was like yeah. neutrality is dead we're all gonna you know but i, I think my wi-fi bill still the same so yeah <laughs> I, don't, I, I guess i guess i'm not certain what exactly happened but i guess the point is that like the government is still trying to figure out you know there's like <laughs> it's like really hard to regulate something that a that, that a lay person doesn't really understand, right? You know, because then who are you listening to? Lobbyists, experts, I don't know. Like, who are you yeah. supposed to listen to? Yeah, it must be a difficult task. I, I imagine yeah. that the regulation of AI is going to persist for as long as we're alive, right? Like, there's going to be the conversation, a continuing conversation yeah. about how to regulate technology, and you know, I hope we get it right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What do you think is going to happen? Like, what do you think the government's going to do? I, I I don't think government gets things right very frequently. <laughs> that's my that's my opinion. So I. I I don't have any, I, I don't know if they should or they shouldn't. I mean, I, I lean towards they shouldn't, but what I know is they're going to, they're going to mess it up. I don't know if they're going to, they're not going <laughs> to regulate the right thing. Bad or real bad? Um, but, you know, no. I don't know. I guess like, it might yeah. only be a little bad, you know, you never know. Uh, it, it really depends on what they do. I mean, if they're going to stifle innovation, that would be bad. If they're going to make it so that like law-abiding citizens won't be able to do things that criminals will be able to do that's going to be bad yeah um if they're gonna make it that you know china's able to hack into our entire country because we just stopped innovating like i don't like there could be bad ways to do things right like there's a lot of things you could get wrong yeah (laughs) yeah i hear you yeah i definitely i definitely hear you (laughs) it's a lot to think about it's a lot to think about well do you feel like you know now I don't, but Cal, we are getting to the end of our time. Oh, all right. And I want to thank you again for joining me. Yeah, but before we go, what is one thing, if you have to choose one thing that you want me and all of our listeners to know about artificial intelligence? Oh man. Uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's this. I think it's this. Uh, no one really had the right to call it artificial intelligence. (laughs) You know, like. It's a term that was invented a long time ago by the likes of Isaac Asimov and like in, in like in like the 60s and so on. Uh-huh. Whether or not it's artificial intelligence is not a matter of definition. It's a matter of opinion, right? And I think, you know, if any one person is trying to like, you know, form their disposition towards these technologies, they should observe them and learn about them and see how they work and then decide if they are artificial forms of intelligence or if they're forms of regression and inference and statistics right. that we've right. had, we've always had. <laughs> now I know. Now you know. <laughs> Man, thanks for having me, Joe. This is a lot of fun.